there are uh, certain scriptures that you come to sometimes that uh, you really wish you don't have a week in between them. Meaning like we're going to talk about something and then have to wait an entire week to talk about the rest of it. And this is definitely one of those weeks where we're going to dig into a section of scripture that's been really, really confusing and very, very difficult for a lot of people to understand, including myself. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into it, but we have to understand a little bit of context where we are. You know, maybe think of it this way. You know how Good Friday is kind of a cliffhanger until Sunday? Like, you know, you got it like Good Friday. We only call it Good Friday because, well, we know what Sunday means after the resurrection week, resurrection day. This is going to feel a lot like that, where we're going to hear a message of, of input and some information what the Scripture is saying here and, and hopefully some application from this that is going to be a little difficult for us to, to wrestle with. And, and I, as I wrestled and studied with some, some other people, I, I kind of was, do I save people? Do we save ourselves and try and really, really just kind of go for all of it? But I, I really felt like the Lord was just saying, no, let's, let's sit in this. And so, so my challenge for you today is, is to come to this scripture like I've had to force myself to do for the last few weeks of studying, which is A, recognizing that we all have presuppositions to it. We all have these beliefs that we've come into the room with and we've kind of going to read it through that lens and try and make the text fit into that theology, that understanding, that, that systematic belief system that we have. And then the second thing is that you would, you would be willing to, to, as hard as this may be, you'd be willing to try not to focus on anyone else but just yourself. And you'll understand as we get there a little bit further. You're gonna, your mind is going to want to wander very quickly to someone else. And we'll talk about that at the end of this, uh, this message. But, but I really need you guys to sit in this. See, the author... Again, we, we've talked about the book Hebrews. It's, it's very much like a sermon. It's not necessarily a letter, although we're reading it as a letter. It's, it's a sermon. So, so the author that, that wrote this is, is speaking, and he's, he's spending some good time speaking about the high priest and what, what does the high priest of Jesus Christ mean and how does that play out with the order of Melchizedek. And then he kind of just pauses, like hard turns, urge, and hits what John talked about last week, this, this immaturity that he's seeing in the people he's speaking to, this immaturity that is, that is present, and he's, he's, he's is engaging in that. And then he carries out through the rest of six this kind of break and then jumps right back into the high priest again. And so he, he purposely put this here. He skillfully put this conversation in the middle of this high priest and this whole conversation about who Jesus is and he, he threw this in. And the book of Hebrews has these five big kind of warnings. This, is, this section that we've been doing, 5.11 through all of six, is another one of those. And this is a very difficult text for us to wrestle with. And so, so I would just encourage you guys, just if you would just come along with me on this journey, we're not going to answer all the questions to this text. I can promise you I'm not smarter than everyone that's gone before us in this. Um, but I, I can tell you, I do believe that wherever we land in our systematic theology, wherever we land in our understanding of this, I believe the application is still the same. The application is still truly the same, and we will get to some application this week. However, the application that you and I may want is what's going to come next week. So I would really encourage you to be at both of these and, and, and maybe spend some time really pressing into the Lord this week in community as you study this scripture. Let's, so let's go to chapter 6, verse 1, if you have your Bibles. If you don't, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. Um, we're going we're to basically take all of 6 this week and next week. And so that's where we are. Therefore, so the therefore, obviously, is what's the therefore, therefore, right? It's what John talked about last week. John gave us a great message about what does spiritual maturity look like. And he even laid out, like, very specific, I think he got a lot of you guys, right? He, he laid out very specific things about this is, what a, this is what the maturity would look like, and this is what maturity would look like. And then he ends it with, but hang on a second, now you've got to ask the question. You've got to willingly ask the question, would you define yourself as mature or immature? 
Would you see maturity growing in your life? Would you see yourself maturing like you would see a baby maturing? Do you see that in your spiritual journey, or is it just stagnant or dead? And that's the question he asked last week. And so he goes in to here, and he says, well, therefore, in light of the fact that I'm noticing so many of you should be teachers of the word, you should be able to teach this stuff, but you still need milk. And what's really interesting is the author doesn't actually go into what he needs to do. He just moves on. He's like, he, he makes a statement. Like, you guys are really immature. We are really struggling with immaturity. All right, let's move on. And he just kind of goes on to the more mature things. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, therefore, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Leave not in, give up in, but move forward from. So let us, let us move forward. Let's, let's build on the foundation of the elementary doctrines of Christ. And go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from, laying, um, from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And so he literally, in the first three verses of this, just basically lays out, here's some elementary principles. All these things. He lays them in. There's three pairs. and He talks about those. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about those because he doesn't. He just kind of says, hey, this is stuff that you should understand. Uh, one thing that we should, we should also be aware of is that this stuff, these elementary um, doctrine things, lay very closely to Judaism. And so what some scholars believe is that the reason why we talked at the very beginning, some of these people that profess Christ at the beginning have been walking back into their, their, their Jewish ways and, and saying, let's maybe move away from Christ the Messiah, which is why Jesus is the high priest is such a big deal and why I think he paused here. But what, what's happening is, is people were, were kind of trying to make the... the parts of Judaism fit into Christianity and do it as, as minimal as possible so that they can kind of like pass the grade without getting any kind of persecution. Now, I don't mean to sound harsh, but doesn't that sound like a lot of Christians today? What's the, what's the minimum we can do to look like we got it together? And then we don't have to worry about like really giving up much in our life. It doesn't have to be that difficult. We don't have to worry about persecution. And I mean, we don't really, I mean, like I know Jesus said, die to yourself, but we, we like to just kind of maybe limp to ourselves or injure ourselves, not really fully die? Like, if I just lose a limb here or there, is that cool? And so that's what's happened here. And so he says, here are all these things. He talks about repentance and, and faith and, and, and baptism and all these things that you guys should, you should know about. That being said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. And some of you probably don't understand that. So I would encourage some more study into that as well. But he goes on. And then he goes further and says, and this we will do if God permits. I love that because so many of us believe that we do this on our own. I study, I learn, I've got it all figured out in my strength and my own. But he says, if God permits, God's, God's going, it's not that God can't teach us that stuff. It's that God's going to move us on in maturity the more we're submitted to him. It's God's doing. It's not us. It's God's work in us. It's God's work through us. It's not our own doing. So we look for God's permission to do this. And then he goes on and says, for, and this is the big sentence, okay, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. And then he goes on to a lot more positive section, which is what we'll talk about next week in verse 9. 
So he, he lays out this statement. This, I will tell you right now, this statement, I, as, as my short amount of time as a pastor, this very subject matter is at the tip of everyone's brain. This very conversation, this, this wondering, what, is, what does it really mean? It's impossible. What's he saying? He says it's impossible for someone to be restored to repentance. That's what he's saying. It's impossible. Okay? Just in case we were wondering on that impossible word, if he actually means impossible, he uses that word, the exact same word, three other times in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 6.18, it's impossible for God to lie. So it kind of seems like that's true. It's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin, Hebrews 10.14, and it is impossible to please God without faith, Hebrews 11.6. So it seems like impossible literally means impossible. It's not that God can't lie, it's that God is, it's impossible for God to lie. So he's saying it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted these things, and we're going to go through that list, who have done those things, to be restored to repentance once they've fallen away. Now that's scary. I'll just call it what it is. That is, that is a scary, scary text. Because he's essentially saying, look, when you fall away, what, what, like, to what level do I fall away? To what, what aspect? What, what sins are, is he talking about? What does this look like? And this is why I said at the beginning, and you, I hope you're still doing it, this is why I said pay attention to yourself and don't think about someone else. Some of you right now, you heard this text, you went right to that person you're thinking of. What did they do? And we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that. We'll talk about that in a second. I want, you, I want you to apply this to yourself. I want you to think about this. Again, the, the author of Hebrews does, he, 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 lies in, he usually lays himself right before this. He's talking about us. Let us move elementary ways. So he's, he's kind of keeping himself in there. But then when it comes here, he says those. He doesn't, he doesn't lump himself into this group of people. Those. It's impossible for those. And so, so what is he saying? He's saying it's impossible. <laughs> For those to come back. Well, what are the list of things that you have? Let me just say real quickly. There's a, basically, there's about six really smart people groups that have laid this text explaining it in one way or the other. Okay? There's about five or six that most scholars would kind of lump into. Meaning, at the end of the day, what does this scripture really, really, really mean? Does it say that you can once be saved... Be a follower of Jesus Christ and through some series of, of choices and mistakes or sins, fall away. And then if that's the case, then you can't actually ever be renewed again. And there's some that believe that. There's some that say this is just a hypothetical. He's just using a very exaggerated statement to kind of hypothetically lay this out. And then there's, there's those that say, well, no, actually, scriptures point to the fact that you can't actually lose your salvation. Your salvation is held by God. So how does he just, like, it's not like he's like, oh man, I forgot my keys and, and Brent's salvation today. Like what? No, it's not like that doesn't happen. So, so, so how, how exactly does this lay out? Now, I, there's another few variances in there. I'm not even going to worry about those. You guys can study those if you want to, but there's a, a number of variances in this text. What we have to do is we have to realize two things. One is, is it would be not beneficial for me as your pastor. It would not be beneficial for me to, to, to take the easy road out of this. They say, well, let's just, let's just kind of put a nice little blanket on it and move on. That's not truly love. And so I want to dig into this. Now, I, I will say it this way. I believe um, that he is laying out a, a very, very fantastic set of circumstances that would, for most of us, look like someone is saved. And I, I, I'm, I'm sharing specifically up front that I I land, I personally land in that, that once we are saved by the Lord, it is held together. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll explain why I get there. But again, if you're on the other camp, you believe that, our application will be the same. So just stay with me. Please, stay with me. Okay, so he says a few different things. First, he talks about these things like enlightenment. 
And this is what most scholars struggle on is the words. He talks about tasted and enlightenment and, and the good word and, 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 and works and the Holy Spirit. And like all these things happening. How does someone who doesn't know the Lord actually have that happen? How is that the case? And so that's the question to go. So he says enlightenment. And enlightenment is a described experience of light shining on someone, a new light shining on the mind and spirit. This is enlightenment, to be brought aware of something, to be aware of something. Okay, that's enlightenment. That's what that means. The, the bigger difficulty is in tasted, in the word tasted. This word has been used already in Hebrews. And it was used in relation to Christ and death. Did Christ taste death? Well, it didn't partially taste it. <laughs> he, he, he died. He experienced death. But what you and I understand and know is that he didn't stay dead. He was raised three days later. We're going to celebrate that in a few weeks, right? He was raised three days later. He sits at the right hand of God. He is the Lord and Savior of all. He's our king, our high priest. And so he didn't stay dead, but he did taste it. So here he talks about these things. He says, we have tasted, we've tasted things. So he says, um, those that have, that have tasted the heavenly gift, okay, and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now, how can someone, we, the scriptures teach, real quickly, Ezekiel even says it, like, when we, when we um, come to Christ, he takes a heart of stone, removes the heart, and gives a heart of flesh, like, the Spirit indwells us through Jesus Christ, and so we see the, the Holy Spirit working there. Now, how can someone taste the Holy Spirit? How can someone experience the Holy Spirit if they don't have God? Well, let me just say this. Conviction of sin is a work of the Holy Spirit. Conviction of sin is a work of the Holy Spirit. You can be convicted of sinfulness. does not mean you repent, and it does not mean you continue to walk in it. But conviction of sin is a work of the Holy Spirit. Another thing, and we see all over in the Scriptures, we see the Holy Spirit doing all kinds of great things and healing people. Because they were healed doesn't mean they were saved. All over. He talks about taste of the heavenly gift. The Holy Spirit can, can do immense things aside from us, uh, under the taste of the good word. This is the scriptures. You can go to Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. I bet some of you in here are wanna champions, right? And yet that does not mean salvation. It does not, it, it does not mean salvation. Going to church on a regular basis does not mean salvation. The reason this is important for us to understand is that I think so many people believe a false thing about salvation. And that's, this is whether we're believers or not. Now, my, my goal, my desire, please hear, hear me on this. My, my desire is not to leave, make you guys leave completely confused and baffled and just run from everything. That's not the hope. And if you're there, please stay and let's, let's talk some more. There's other people here that can maybe explain this better in a conversation than even me doing it up here in front. But, but experiencing works of God does not mean you are saved. Let me, let me show you that. Let me show you that bi biblically here for a second. There are a number of scriptures that talk about salvation being held by God and not something we can lose, okay? I'm just going to list them out. You can go study them some more. There's all of Romans chapter 5 through 8, Jude chapter 24 and 25, Ephesians 1, 1 John chapter 2, 1 Peter 1, Philippians 1 and 2, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Thessalonians 5, Ezekiel 11 and 36, Deuteronomy 30, and Jeremiah 24 and 32. Those are all scriptures that talk about salvation being something that is final and complete. But I want to I look at a few other ones as well, if you will with me for a second. Um, first off is we have individuals in the scripture that we have seen this. Uh, Demas is one of them. You can see, you can see Demas in, in Colossians 4.14. Paul 
Paul warmly greets other Christians on his behalf. He literally, he's like in 414, he's like, man, he warmly greets in, in, in on Demas' behalf, okay? And then in, um, he's called a fellow worker in Philemon 24. Demas is a fellow worker with Paul, yet Paul condemns Demas, at least for hinting of apostasy in 2 Timothy 4.10. Simon, the, the magician in Acts 8, sees the work, submits himself, gets baptized into the faith, right? And then all of a sudden sees the Holy Spirit come and is like, whoa, I want that power. How can I buy it? And Peter confronts him. He says, whoa. Peter says, you, you are pronounced by Peter to be still in the bondage of sin. First John 2, 19 says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Jesus' terrifying words in Matthew is, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and do miracles in your name? He says, away from me, I never knew you. So the understanding that you and I have that great things can happen only if salvation is in place, we can see scripturally that that's not fully supported. So, so there are ways in which miracles can happen. I mean, miracles. They were doing miracles in Jesus' name. I mean, a lot of us would say, I was praying, I was going to church, but like literally seeing people healed and miracles happening and the Lord says, I never knew you. Another aspect of this and why this is such a big deal. He says you're re-crucifying Jesus. I think one of the things that we need to understand about impossible is impossible to please God without faith, like we talked about, um, is that I'm in no way saying that God will not forgive a repentant person. Okay? This has to be established here. So just for a second, if, if you're a repentant person, it's not like God's going to say, nope, you can't do it. It's saying it's absolutely impossible. It's impossible for anyone to find forgiveness outside of Christ. You will not find forgiveness outside of Christ. You will not find forgiveness of your soul through going to church on a regular basis. You might have an avenue to it. You'll not find it by being a good steward of finances. You'll not find it by serving a lot. You'll not find it by doing good things. Your salvation is held to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and that is it. That is it. Anything else, it's absolutely impossible. And so he says, you're re-crucifying Jesus what does, that, what does that even mean when he says, how can we re-crucify Jesus? He's basically saying that you do it in two ways. One is when you contemplate leaving a family, a community of faith that you thought you had and turned to fleeting pleasures of this world, then you're saying that this stuff is more valuable than Christ. You're saying that, that, that if I am in this community and I understand these things, but, but you know what, I choose to do this, you're saying that this holds more value than Jesus Christ. That's a re-crucifying him. It's saying that that didn't work. Even though we find out later in Hebrews that Jesus died once and for all, for all sins. But yet we say, no, no, that doesn't apply to us. You better do that again, Jesus. You better do that again, which is a very, very, very common practice for early Jewish Christians because that was what they were used to. Remember the sacrificial system we talked about a couple weeks ago. I, I want to go on a little bit in here on talking about why I don't believe that the text teaches that you can truly lose your salvation once it's, it's had. Uh, ultimately, again, I, I believe it's held by the Lord, not myself, which is a big part of that. But he goes on to this vegetation idea. And vegetation was, again, everything that he's using, you have to remember, he's, this is, there's a lot of parallels to the Old Testament scripture that he's, he's walking through. But, but you and I have a couple other vegetation stories that we've heard. We've heard the parable of the sowing of seeds that Jesus has done, right? The seeds that come, we've, we've seen the, the parable with the tares and the weeds, or like what is, like what, what happens there? But right here, in this text right here, he goes on and says, look, rain falls. Rain is always usually 
kind of attributed to God's blessing. God's blessing falls. His, his goodness falls, and it waters. And the soil that is good will produce fruit. This is the maturity that John was talking about last week. Your good soil will produce fruit. Let me just, let me just be as clear as I possibly can, guys. I think we want a third option. We really, really want a third option. We don't like the idea of being all in because it costs us a lot, even though it costs us essentially nothing to have in Christ. But it costs us giving up everything for his purpose. And we definitely don't like the idea of not being in there because that's scary and, and, and sad and we don't want that. And I'm assuming you're at a church for a reason, right? So we, we try to build this third group. What's the group that's like kind of in most of the time, that looks the part most of the time and really like genuinely wants it but just won't really surrender? And when you go to these parables, when you talk about this vegetation, it's not like they say, well, okay, there was a, there was a, a, a produ fruit-producing plant, and then there was this weed that had no purpose, this thorn and thistle. Oh, and, and, and then there's this weird one that kind of looks like a flower at first, you know? And it, it, no, it, it goes with the weeds. It goes with the thorns and thistles. And in this text, he literally lays that out right here. He says, look, the rain falls. One serves a purpose, producing fruit. The other doesn't. It's on to destruction. It's, it's, there's no purpose. Now, why is he saying this to this group of people? Why is he saying this to these people? Because I believe that he thinks, as I do today, that some of you may be not the fruit-producing plant, and there's still hope for you. Another set of scripture out of Hebrews says, Hebrews 3, 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We talked about this. Firm to the end. What is he saying specifically? The point here is that we have become partakers of Christ. Not we will become and not we are now partakers, but we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast to the end. What does it mean? You want to have this confidence and this assurance of, of our salvation. It's, it's perseverance. It's through the end. I mean, in no way am I saying perfection. Please hear me on this. So many of us struggle with so many sins and we battle and we work. Not, this isn't about that. It says perseverance to the end. And then Hebrews 10, 14, we'll get there. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So speaking of Jesus Christ, by offering himself, he has done what? He has perfected, not for some time, not for as long as you could hold on until finally the world just got too hard, but he has perfected for all time those who what? Are being sanctified. Do you see it? This is crazy. We're needing to be sanctified because, well, let's be honest, we all need it. But yet, we're perfected for all time by Christ. This is why I don't think this scripture can be, hey, I was following, but then I fell away. Now, I understand that even when I say that, some of you right now, you're, you're hitting a roadblock in your mind, specifically probably because of someone you love. Most of us probably don't even necessarily squirm much personally. I mean, this we're like, wow, some of us are like, man, I, I, you know, I want to know, like, what, how many sins are there? Let me, let me be really clear that the only unforgivable sin that we see in scripture is the continual rejection of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a continual turning away. It's not like it's some sexual sin or, or addiction or any other sin. God can deal with all that stuff. It's the rejection of God. It's the rejection, the continual rejection of God. And the people that fall away here aren't necessarily apostates. It's a different word. But the people who fall away are people that have literally turned and have no desire to follow anything of God and they look for the world for all their satisfaction. So it's impossible for them to ever find forgiveness or love or joy or anything over here. It's impossible. You won't find it. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you and I today? 
how do we reconcile this in our brains? First, I want to recognize I don't want to in any way give false assurance to any professed Christian who is not truly born again. It would, it would be wrong of us to minimize what it means to follow the Lord to anyone we care about. That's the most unloving thing we can do. So as you sit there and think about your friend or whoever this person or family member, they're like, man, what about my daughter? What about my son? What about, what about this person? As you see that, you start wrestling with that. This isn't a, hey, like, let's just make them feel good about it and say they're okay. But at the same time, I don't want to cause some true believers to stumble and miss out on God's best. And my assumption is that's a lot of us in here. A lot of us in here are like, man, what, what do we do here? A text like this really gets legs on it for us personally when we attach it to someone we love who has wandered. I don't in any way want to make light of this, but truly want us to not find peace in understanding what may be going on in someone else's heart, but instead want us to truly look at our own heart and ask the very sobering question, have I truly repented and submitted myself to Christ? That's the, the question we need to ask. If this is true, then what areas of my life would show otherwise or aren't aligned to that profession? We can then go back to saying, Lord, please cut me, like the scriptures talked about. He cuts, cut away all, cut away it all, so that I may mature to the person you created me to be. Really, guys, a, a text like this should make us more relentless about speaking truth and loving each other. And this is why I said the application is the same either way. I, I don't believe biblically that you really can lose your salvation. Again, there's really smart people that disagree with me, and they have great points, okay? So I'm not saying I solved that problem. But whether you hold to the fact that, that there's, a, there's a reality that someone can be following the Lord and then make a series of choices to fall away, to literally turn from the Lord and choose to find life in something other than Christ, or you believe that you can't truly fall away. That maybe some of these people, these loved ones that you saw works of the Holy Spirit, you saw God doing great things, it was all just their own strength. It was the God pouring out his rain, his blessing on both thorns and fruit-bearing plants. Whether you believe that, the application is the same. The application for you and me today is the exact same. Nothing changes no matter what level you hold on. We should be relentlessly, I mean relentlessly, purposeful and furious about speaking truth and loving each other. Wherever you land on your belief in this, if people can walk away or can pretend, then we must put ourselves in horrifyingly close community. I mean really, really, really uncomfortable close community so that someone can look at us and say, hey, hey, Brent, that doesn't add up. Hey, hey, you talk about these scriptures, but here in your life, I see this thing playing out. That doesn't happen unless you're close proximity. If you keep yourself walled up and held at a distance, trust me, you can do it all day long. You can play the part all day long. We need to be close to people so that we can be confronted in love and so that we can do the confronting in love. Because at the end of the day, no one really wants to pretend. Those of us that are in here, those of you that are, that are struggling to pretend, you're doing it because you believe there's something true about what God says, but you're too afraid of letting go of the things he's asking you to let go of. Said simpler, you want this stuff more than you want him. So what do we do with this? A couple things. First off, I want to pause for a second. It's going to be a little awkward, but I'm okay with it. I want to pause and I want to be silent. I want us individually to go to the Lord for our own salvation. Some of you, this may be the first time. This may be the first time where you're saying, you know what, Lord, I'm done pretending. I'm done playing the part. I don't care what people around me will say when they say that, no, I'm finally submitting to this. Some of you say, I, I'm ready and you need to go there. 
some of us, let's, let's be honest, a lot of us in here, we know the Lord. In fact, I'll just give you a little bit of saving for verse 9. He goes on, beloved, your salvation is, sir, I, I, I know it, and here's how. So he goes on, he saves him. Like I said, this is a week to squirm, and he'll save you next week, or you can just read on ahead and whew, exhale a little bit if you want. But some of you, you need to ask the question. We've been over and over and over again in this Hebrews, all the way back to when Danny Pellegrini taught, way back in chapter 3, of this confrontation of what is God calling out of your life, the sinfulness. We talk about this year being a year we're going to risk faith. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, it is really hard to risk faith when you're carrying around a cloud of dark sinfulness because you will be overwhelmed with the fear of this world. So some of you need to spend some time. And so maybe it's, it's Lord, I know you. I know, I know you, but I, I see the things now. I see the things I keep squirming from about being cut away. I even look at the list that, that John I put on my fridge this week, and I realize there are so many areas that I have just not matured in. So instead of going to the Lord and saying, God, am I saved or am I not, just present yourself to him. God, I'm yours. I don't want to hold anything back. Don't pretend. What causes pain is the people we love falling away and that's why this text is so difficult that's why we get so myopic in this text because we instantly think of our friends that have walked away and we go there's no way they had to have known how could they not look at this and look at this and look at this and we go to everything they did and we, we, we get so myopic on them and we forget that God is way bigger than that so first submit yourselves Lord I'm yours Lord I'm done pretending Lord, I, I want to walk in the confidence that your scriptures say I can have. Go to Ephesians 1 if you want to know about confidence of who you are in Christ. This is one of the reasons why I struggle with the belief that you can lose is because it's, it's an absolutely horrific truth. I can make some mistake, walk away, and then not be returned to repentance. That's a terrible, that doesn't seem true to God's character. Spend some time praying for yourself. We're just going to take a moment, it's going to be silent, and I'm okay with that. And then we have one more thing we'll do. And I want to give us some time to pray for the people that we've been thinking about this entire time this talk is going on. And the reason why your heart goes to them is because you probably love them, because you care about them, or maybe it's because the Lord is, is trying to tell you to be more relentless, more pursuing of them. And so what I want to do, this is going to be maybe even more uncomfortable for some of us than what that time was right there, it's weird how a minute of half silence is, seems like an eternity. What I want to do is I want, I want to pray for these people out loud, all of us at the same time. Because here, here's the thing. And if you, you're like, whoa, I don't want the person next to me, don't know their name, let's say my brother, my friend, my sister, my daughter. Look, reality is so many of us have seen people that have looked the part. They've gone to church. They did good they did things. Man, someone so influential in my life is not following the Lord but the reason why I'm following the Lord was the influence that they had in my life. And it's literally the, the, the vessel at which God used for me to come to know him. And the reason why we struggle with this text sometimes is because I think we, we get too myopic and we look it through the lens of our son, our daughter, our friend, our, our spouse, who, man, we had great times and we saw amazing things and we saw miracles and we saw healings and we saw powerful, powerful things, but yet today they would denounce Christ. And so my goal would be that we pray for them. And, and the reason why I say out loud is because my assumption is it's going to be pretty loud in here, which should tell us two things. One is just how grave of a situation this is. 
This is why I said this should push us to relentlessness in pursuing one another and community. Because if this is a reality, if this is a reality that people can, can know about God, can hear about God, can do these things, and then literally choose not to be covered by his blood, literally choose to, to walk away, to fall away from that truth and say, I'm going to look for forgiveness in anything other than Jesus Christ. That's a grave situation. But my bet is a lot of people, a lot of people, and I'll just give you a little bit of hope. I'll give you one biblical example of it. My bet is a lot of people are wandering. They had it. They were a wanna champs next to you. They served all day long next to you. You did all sorts of great stuff in youth ministry together. They maybe even went into full-time vocational ministry. And they got beat up and chewed up and spit out, and they left. And you know what they did is they squandered their inheritance, similar to someone else scripturally, the prodigal son. And yet, I still believe that it is our role and our job as believers to be faithfully praying for their return that they would not look for anything else, that they would not be too far gone, that they would not be lost cause anymore, that they would be someone that you could see God bringing back. And, and I guarantee I don't have to sell you on that because most of you love these people that have wandered. Your heart's bleeding for them. So it should remind us, one, of how important it is for us to be in each other's business, awkwardly in each other's business, lovingly in each other's business. You know where you smell the other person. And you know their smell, like that kind of awkwardness, right? You're not, you don't even have to appreciate the smell, but you just know their smell, right? Like that's the kind of close community we need to have. Instead of making ourselves so stinking busy that we can keep a good wall, a good barricade around us. The second thing this should tell us is too is for us personally. For us personally is that there should and always needs to be a maturing process. If you are riding on the coattails of what you did in Awanas, for your scripture memorization, you're doomed. The scriptures are alive and you should be in them today and they should be speaking to you on a daily basis. If you're relying on what some other spiritual person had said to you at some talk some time long ago and you're just confident with it, you're, you're anemic, you're not maturing. Like John said last week, the, the maturing is the sign of life. You want to see that life in you? Then look at your maturing process. And so... Shows us two things. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend the, the band. I'm going to want you guys to go ahead and pray for a little bit with this too, so don't feel like you have to come up yet. But I'm just going to give you guys a second to pray out loud. I'm going to turn my mic off so I don't overpower all of you. Pray out loud for these people that have wandered. Pray, them, pray for them to be prodigals. Pray for your heart so that when they come, you actually embrace them unlike an older brother. Pray that the, the pain and the consequences of the sinful choices they make can be minimized if in any way. Pray for someone to be able to speak the truth to them. Pray for God to grab their heart where all they can do then is stop turning to all these other things and run back to him and embrace. So let's spend some time praying for these people if you're comfortable out loud because like I said, I want others to hear. Not necessarily gossip. This isn't a chance to gossip. I want to be clear on that. This is a chance to pray for people. And if you don't have anyone to pray for, if you can't think of someone, then just hear someone else's name and start praying for them. Okay, let's pray. Joyful to hear that there were so many voices. I secretly wish that there wasn't one. God, it'd be so incredible to know that there wasn't one. But at the same point, I find joy in recognizing that there is a number of your believers here, your children, adopted co-heirs with Christ where their heart is bleeding for someone else, God. 
Father, I pray that we wouldn't just stop praying for them after this service ends. I pray that you would cross our paths. I pray that we would make ways for our paths to cross, Lord. I pray for the parents that have children that are wayward. I pray that you would give them some incredible Holy Spirit-driven ability to communicate love to their children in a way where they could hear it and see it as true. Father, for those that have held the vocation of missionary or pastor or or worship leader, kids, whoever's worked in this has made a living in ministry and has chosen to walk away. God, I pray that you just break their hearts. God, for those that have used those people as an excuse to run from the church, God, I pray that you'd wreak havoc with their hearts. God, we pray that you restore every single person. We pray that no one would hear your word and turn dull. No one would hear your word and turn from it, but instead would let it penetrate their heart and they in turn would submit themselves to you as Lord. Father, my heart breaks that there's so many. Father, will you give us as a community ability to not have one more? Give us the ability to walk with people, to be in front of people, to see the wrestlings, to see where the, the enemy is deceiving them, to see where, where Satan is speaking lies and they're believing not truth, God, to be able to call that out before it goes too far. Father, would you give us the ability to love each other's kids, each other, with a true authentic love, not a fake pretend I recognize that that means that we have to be more real. And so, God, I pray that you'd give us the ability to do that. And like we've talked about over these last few weeks in Hebrews, that you would bring us to not just confession of sin, but to repentance from sin, a turning from, not a turning from to something else, but a turning from to you in faith, Lord. And so, Lord, as we sing, as we worship, as we go about our days, I pray pray that our minds are plagued with these individuals. And I pray that we would we would feel the pain that we already feel. Lord, I take solace in knowing and recognizing and understanding that you care about these people more than us and that the fact that they aren't submitted to you doesn't mean you don't, God. You love them. And so we pray, I restore. For us, God, as we look into this text, as we wrestle with our own salvation, Lord, would you please help us to differentiate in our lives what is just a work of us and what is truly submission to you. God, I pray that every single person that has submitted themselves to you as Lord and Savior, God, that they wouldn't leave waffling in that, but more confident in it, recognizing that they don't hold on to it, but you do. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, God, I pray that we would no longer pretend. I pray that we would no longer go through the motions. And, Lord, I pray that we would uh, be able to, if you called us today, look you in the eyes and hear, well done, good and faithful servant because we had persevered to our end. We love you, Jesus. Amen.